to this week's mini-retreat reflection on the Christian life. I'm your host, Lisa Tuggle, and this is Evangelination, evangelizing the nation for the best and brightest future of our country, our world, and our own eternal souls. And what could be more important than that? Okay, the question today is this. To what lengths would you go to have all the happiness in the world? to live in paradise in the company of the most loving and beautiful people you could ever meet? How hard would you work to get to that place? Well, of course, I'm talking about what we might imagine heaven to be. Heaven is the experience of everything good, the realization of all we hope for in the way of blessings and peace and fulfillment and acceptance and the animating of all our potential as human beings made in the image and likeness of of God. So now just how hard would you work to get there? And what would you sacrifice here on earth to ensure that you receive, what is it termed, your eternal reward? You know, we work exceptionally hard in our lives to secure the provisions we need to sustain our lives and to sustain and enhance the well-being of our families and others who depend on us. And you know, there is a moral obligation to do this, to work diligently and carefully for the betterment of our neighbor and the care of our own earthly needs. So we work really hard in offices of service in public and private institutions, chief of which is the institution of the family, which is the principal unit of human society and which is necessarily established on the bedrock commitment of sacramental marriage between a husband and a wife who then assume the responsibility of parenting the next generation of human beings on the planet. So in this sense, the human family is a private institution, but it is ordered to the public good and according to the master plan of the great designer of all life and and well-being. So now, if we work really hard in all these public and private institutions, and we work really hard in this life for food and clothing and shelter and amenities that make life easier, but will ultimately pass away, then is there any sense in which all this hard work could be applied to the building up of an eternal lasting reward for all those efforts? Can we build our eternal home now while building our earthly home here in this realm? Let's consider this. Okay, usually these two realms are sort of pitted against one another. For example, you've probably heard the idea that you can work for eternal reward or for earthly treasure, which is subject to loss by means of moths that destroy or thieves that break in and steal. You'll find a reference to this matter in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. So in this passage, the Lord says, and I quote, Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths cannot destroy, nor thieves break in and steal. Now, what exactly does he mean by this? Well, okay, the magisterial documents that are the basis of thought for what we call Catholic social justice teachings 
these assure us that it is a moral right and obligation to work for our sustenance, you know, not simply to live off welfare from the government, okay? So read, for example, the papal encyclical Laborum Exertions on Human Life and Work. Certainly, we are not called to be lazy or indifferent to the needs of ourselves or of society, but rather we are invited to answer the call to apply our God-given talents in ways that can better the lives of those around us. So this is what is <clears throat> or ought to be happening in small businesses and corporations and local governing bodies and families and schools of the free Western world. But how does all this human activity intersect with the Lord's clear commandment to store up treasure in heaven? You know, it would seem that there is an antinomy set up here between temporal pursuits on earth and eternal pursuits in heaven. What do you think? You know, in fact, I would venture to say that many people who might encounter this teaching of Jesus might feel so uncomfortable with it that they just cast it aside and focus on what is in front of them as far as dealing with the circumstances of their life right here and now. You know, it's, it's more comfortable to say, hmm, I don't know what this means. Eternity and death are far away, and what I need to do and what is pressing and urgent right now is what I need to focus on. Okay, and this is normal. This is the struggle, especially of young people discerning what to do with their lives. And admittedly, successful people do have to focus on the here and now to achieve anything at all, regardless of its longstanding or temporary value. So the key here is that we have to remember that we are spiritual beings and not just temporal bodies with temporal needs and desires. And so it's, it's worthwhile to carve out um, some time for retreat and reflection especially uh, when we're young and we're discerning what to do with our lives, because there's a tendency to just um, throw out uh, all that seems not very concrete and focus on what's concrete. But here I wish to reiterate the church's longstanding call to its members to consider commitments that are associated with eternal and lasting rewards and not solely earthly benefits. You know, religious vocations bear witness to the reality that we are spiritual beings and that there is a part of each one of us that is invisible and eternal. To work for an invisible kingdom, the kingdom of God, which is, I would say, a spiritual benefit society that lasts well beyond our temporary affairs and concerns, to work for this kingdom is certainly the call of baptism in Christ for each one of us. So we who are baptized are legally adopted into this spiritual family that is the church, the mystical body of Christ, enduring a body that is past, present, and future, a timeless reality. So we want to store up treasure according to what this family values. We represent a family name, the name of God, Hashem, the divine designer of us all, our creator, redeemer, and Lord. And we represent the entire body of Christ, all the believers who live in God. So each baptized life has extraordinary significance. And what we do with our lives does matter. It matters a lot. Now, at the same time, this call to store up treasure in heaven ought not to be misconstrued to ignore temporal realities and affairs. It is not an either or proposition. And I think actually this may have been 
where the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day got it wrong. They seemed bent on ignoring the temporal reality of the people around them in favor of being set apart and, and adhering to a host of invisible intellectual rules and regulations, supposedly in service to the Lord of the covenant people. But in actuality, they were pursuing their own personal perfection according to human and temporal standards. They kept rigorous dietary laws and fastidious rituals of cleanness and uncleanness associated with almost every facet of personal and community life. And it became a game like our daily lives can be. Indeed, even our religious lives can be. It became a game of winning or losing, of successfully playing by all the rules and getting ahead of your neighbor insofar as being more perfect in religious observance you know, or getting, you know, a better reward than someone else. So, you know, in the broader society today, we can think of it simply in terms of getting ahead in the game of wealth, status, and personal achievements without any consideration of either religion or spirituality. So, in fact, time and again in human history, we find that people arise to the maturity of adulthood with top-notch educational training, and skills, and maybe even in religious circles, but they're infantile in spiritual development. You know, they're so infantile that they could conceive of pursuing personal gain and wielding personal power of, over other people and institutions, and even boldly pursuing world domination as if there were nothing wrong with it whatsoever. You know, these people are spiritual infants. They conceive of such ideas even as good because they are darkened in the faculty of the soul, the center of the spiritual life, and of the heart where resides love. You know, these people are obsessed with winning the game for power and control and for putting a feather in their own caps that says they succeeded, they won, in making a reality of some man-made boneheaded ideology like socialism, you know, and, you know, they think that that's good for the world. You know, or or people in religious circles can can be deceived in more subtle ways. You don't have to be uh, um, caught up in um, identity politics to uh, come up with some boneheaded ideas. <clears throat> you know, it makes these people feel important and that they are part of something greater than themselves. But it's also, you know, sometimes it's extremely wicked and anti-Christ, even if they're religious. And these things um, are so if they're pursued without reference to God or to the enduring truths of humanity and divinity, okay? So why do I say all this? Well, we have to be discerning in these times. These, there's a lot of strange things happening on the globe. And, you know, it's super easy for every human being to fall into this trap, into pursuing the opposite of storing up treasure in heaven. You cannot store up treasure in heaven if you, you reject that heaven exists or that the God of heaven, of this invisible realm, exists. Because this God is the source of our ability to love. And if you fail to believe in God, who is love, you will sooner or later be absolutely, impot absolutely impotent and unable to love. You see, people who arrive there can't even see that they are, have become impotent and unable to love. 
They become darkened in both intellect and will because love is light and life. And rejecting the author of life and light is to reject who you are as made in the image and likeness of the, the God of life and light. You know, when you reject God, you reject the blueprint of who you are and what will make you happy. So people who aspire to rule over their neighbors instead of living in humble relationship with them, these people resolve to outcompete or even destroy others for their own survival or self-aggrandizement. And when they set their foot on this pathway, they simultaneously leave the way that leads to life. Jesus is the way. So quite simply, they leave the family of God, the family that alone lasts eternally and affords the happiness of true and lasting loving community for which each and every human being ultimately longs. So don't be one of those people. If you are, even in some small way, come back to the fold, repent, and believe in the gospel. It is the only way, truth and life for humanity. So how can you store up treasure in heaven while living on earth? It's a matter of the heart. Saint-Exupéry wrote in his book, The Little Prince, quote, One sees well only with the heart. The essential is invisible to the eyes. I love that quote. So barring a godless pursuit of wealth and status or achievement, can a person be successful in worldly affairs and still, up, still store up treasure in heaven? Actually, yes. Can you dismiss the pursuit of worldly wealth and achievements altogether, sidestep it, and still store up treasure in heaven? Absolutely, yes. In either case, though, narrow is the road that leads to life. And why do I say narrow? It is narrow because of the fragility of the inspiration to love. The smallness of God's voice speaking to you. When you're inspired to pray, to repent, to turn to God as the author and best counsel of your life, and when you start to listen to God's voice, the tiny whisper of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it, it's always a call to love, but it's also so easy to dismiss on account of its littleness. Don't miss it. Don't dismiss it. Follow it. It leads to life and to love. Love is a fragile flower in the heart. The voice of the Lord is a whisper. The mind so easily crushes it with its boot of logic. True mindfulness acknowledges the design of all things and respects fragile things as ones to be treated with greater care. That is why we go on retreats of discernment, discerning how to respond to the inspirations of the divine spirit heard and conceived in the heart is a very important task for the mind, for reason to undertake. It is an act of virtue to seek counsel with others when inspirations from God are received in the heart. Now the kingdom of God is not ancillary, as I said, to the temporal needs of a human person or of human society. Rather, the kingdom of God is in our midst in the body of Christ around us, in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who resides in the distressing disguise of the poor, as Mother Teresa put it. And Jesus Christ, the new Adam, living in every human being you encounter. 
That is why we must love and why we must lay down our lives in loving service to others in ways that are prudent, wise, and just. So how do we enter the kingdom of God and store up for ourselves treasure and wealth and position there? By laying down our human free will, which is really an Achilles heel on account of how whimsically and foolishly we use it, and choosing instead obedience to God the Father, who is love and mercy. We do this in imitation of and in the spirit of the incarnate word of God, Son of the Father, Jesus Christ. He was obedient unto death to the Father, serving all of humanity by his sacrifice, which continues in an unbloody manner to this day in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. You know, it had, you know, life-changing consequences for the whole world, what he did. And I would suggest that the sacrifices you make also have uh, uh, an impact that will last uh, throughout generations. You know, at the beginning of this podcast, I asked how hard you would work to have paradise. Now let's consider this. How hard would you work for someone else to have paradise, to have eternal happiness? You see, Jesus Christ worked very hard all his human life to practice the virtue required to give his life at the end as a sacrifice for others. He worked very hard all his human life to show us how hard to work for the salvation of others because he worked hard not for himself, but to open the gates of heaven for others, for all humanity that had lost the way of living in covenantal agape love with the Father and creator of a life. You see, Christ worked hard, suspending as he did many of his divine attributes in order to empathize with his people in the most perfect way, sharing humanity with us in all things but sin, sharing hard labors and being misunderstood and betrayed and cheated and even tortured to death. He worked himself to death to give us life. Now, how many fathers and mothers do you know that do this to some degree today? Do they work themselves to death for love of others? Do we work hard not only to store up treasures for ourselves? Perhaps the real treasure is the ability to break through that self-centered seeking to store up treasure just for ourselves, but instead to break through and to seek to store up treasure for others. Hmm, is that not how we store up treasure in heaven? By seeking the good of others in love? Is not love willing the good of others? Okay, so what does all this mean for us? Well, we read in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all else will be added unto you. That's in both the physical realm, temporal realm and the eternal realm. So whether you hold worldly offices of service or power, or whether you adopt the life of service as a priest or religious brother or sister, or as a consecrated married person or single person working in the institutions of civil society, the principal one of which is the family, You can store up treasure in heaven when you pursue the service of your neighbor in sincere love. That's what this means. When you live with God in prayer and commit to the exercise of the Christian virtues, 
regardless of your circumstances in life, you can enter the kingdom of God and begin storing up treasure in heaven that will last. And what is that treasure? <laughs> at, at root, it really is none, nothing other than fellowship with God, living the likeness to the divine, the being made in God's image part of you, you know, letting that come to life. This is the fundamental call of the gospel, the call to holiness, the call to life from the moment of your birth, from our first cry outside our mother's womb. We want to live. We want to grow. We want to become fully who we are created to be. And what an exciting mystery every baby is. You know, we are born to live in loving community with others. That's why God ordained marriage and family life and why we are born of the love of two unique but complementary people. We are born for love, and this is the treasure that lasts. Every act of love that is sincere, that is offered as a gesture of love to God himself, causes us to begin to live. And when we show true love and mercy, God's own super abundantly generous personality begins to flow through us. And this can happen as early as infancy, when a child is baptized into the body of Christ. The indelible mark of the family name Hashem is received and the spirit of the family name dwells in that soul so that all the uh, talents and gifts and personality of that, of that soul can be animated by the spirit of the living God dwelling in us. Wow, that's the amazing gift of baptism. Now, by contrast, those who decide to do to destroy in their own hearts and minds the value of baptismal uh, holiness, uh, the value of love. Those who choose the folly of love's opposite, namely the adherence to all kinds of sins and vice, namely indifference to uh, the needs of others and, and the rejection of God and oppression and destruction of others, which usually follows the rejection of God. These people, regardless of the external trappings of their life circumstances, whether rich or poor, religious or not, powerful or not, these people are dead spiritually. They have ceased to store up treasure in heaven, which is the interior kingdom of love and life, and they have selected instead a temporal kingdom whose rule of law is survival of the fittest at all cost. You see, rejecting the Ten Commandments and God's authority, they are tantalized by ideologies and worldly philosophies that are perpetually foolish and unsuitable to human advancement in love and life. To suppose that there is no divine creator before whom they must give an account of their worldly pursuits is the first step on the slippery slope of folly. But blessed and happy are the pure of heart those who turn to the source of the heart's own fountain of love and purity, which is a perpetual cleansing bath of love, purifying the heart and the whole life of a person, those people will see God face to face, both in the life to come and in some sense here below, in, you know, when we encounter God in the face of our neighbor, who in their need affords us to minister to God himself, present to us in the disguise of our neighbor's distress, you see. Well, in the canticle of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 36, the Lord says, quote, I will give you a new heart 
and place a new spirit within you, taking from your bodies your stony hearts and giving you natural hearts. I will put my spirit within you and make you live by my statutes, careful to observe my decrees. Then you shall live in the promised land I gave your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. And this, my friends, is a summation of entering into the kingdom of God and storing up treasure in heaven there in all that we're doing right here now. Remember, the value of your life is not to be assessed in worldly terms. Rather, it is to be measured by the genuine spirit-inspired deeds of love with which you live your life, pouring out your time, your talent, and resources each day toward various goals and objectives. It is by this measure of love that the value of your undertakings and relationships can be assessed. Remember St. Therese of Lisieux, the great doctor of the church who lived a simple and humble life. She taught the world this truth when she wrote, quote, I cannot do great things, only small things with great love. And so this is the gospel for our day and for every generation. Let's aspire to do whatever we must do today with love, with great love. Let's compete with one another in love. And may that love sustain us when our life's work becomes difficult, when our energy or enthusiasm wanes, when people let us down or when we are falsely accused or betrayed. In those moments, cling to the example and reality of Christ's passion and death. He too persevered in doing what was right by force of one thing alone, and that was his great love. So today, let's love. Let's let love sustain us in good works and in mildness of thought, word, and action towards our neighbors. Well, that's all for today. I hope you've enjoyed this mini retreat. Uh, please join us next week. And uh, until then, be blessed. That's all for now. Bye-bye. Thank you.